control, lost, no sense of power. I felt dread creep across the room like the afternoon shadows on a cold winter's day. Sitting again at the kitchen table with too much month left at the end of the money, I was not having fun. This adult stuff where a wife looks at you to provide and kids expect to be fed and kept warm was not exactly working. I didn't feel like some powerful adult. Instead, there was a little boy inside of me who was very afraid. Afraid of this month's bills, afraid of this month's mortgage, and absolutely terrified when I considered the future. How was I going to send kids to college, retire, enjoy life, and not live at the edge of money worries? It seemed every month I sat at the same table with the same worries, fears, and problems. I had too much debt, too little savings, and no sense of control over my life. No matter how hard I worked, it seemed I couldn't win. When Sharon and I (laughs) talked about money, we ended up in a fight, leaving her feeling afraid and me feeling inadequate. I didn't need a get-rich-quick guy to pump me up or tell me to be positive. I didn't need a secret formula to riches. I wasn't afraid of hard work or sacrifice. I didn't want to feel my way into being positive. I was positive of only one thing. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was tired of sitting down to do the bills and having a heaviness come over me. All the money came in. All the money went out. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. You know the drill and all the cliches that go with the drill. Oh, some months everything seemed to work. I could tell myself then, oh, well, this is how everyone lives. Those times offered enough wiggle room that I could continue to lie to myself that we were making headway, but deep down I knew we weren't. I did it my way, and my way wasn't working. Enough! This stinks! If you've ever had any of those feelings, you are going to love this audiobook, and more important, you will love your Total Money Makeover. Fifteen years ago, my wife Sharon and I went broke. We lost everything due to my stupidity in handling money, or not handling it as the case may be. Hitting bottom and hitting it hard was the worst thing that ever happened to me and the best thing that ever happened to me. We started with nothing, but by the time I was 26 years old, we held real estate worth over $4 million. I was good at real estate, but I was better at borrowing money. Even though I had become a millionaire, I had built a house of cards. The short version of the story is that we went through financial hell and lost everything. We were sued, foreclosed on, and finally with a brand new baby and a toddler, we were bankrupt. Scared doesn't begin to cover it. But we held on to each other and we decided we needed a change. So I went on a quest, a quest to find out how money really works, how I could get control of it, and how I could have confidence in handling it. I read everything I could get my hands on. I interviewed old, rich people, people who made money and kept it. That quest led me to a really, really uncomfortable place, my mirror. I came to realize that my money problems, worries, and shortages largely began and ended with the person in my mirror. I realized also that if I could learn to manage the character I shaved with every morning, well, I could win at money. 
That quest led me on a new journey over the last 15 years, the journey of helping others, literally millions of others, to take that same quest to the mirror. Live events, Financial Peace University, The Dave Ramsey Show on Talk Radio, and the New York Times bestsellers, Financial Peace and More Than Enough, have enabled me to tell millions of Americans what I have learned the hard way about money. I have a challenge for you. Are you ready to take on the guy or gal in your mirror? If you are, you're ready to win. I discovered God's and Grandma's simple way of handling money. Wealth building isn't rocket science, which is a good thing for me and probably for you. Winning at money is 80% behavior and 20% head knowledge. Most of us know what to do, but we just don't do it. If I can control the guy in the mirror, I can be skinny and rich. We'll let the other audio books work on the skinny, and I'll help you with the rich part. No, there are no secrets, and yes, this is going to be very hard. Hey, if it were easy, every moron walking would be wealthy. So my total money makeover begins with a challenge. The challenge is you. You are the problem with your money. The financial channel or some tape sets aren't your answer. You are. You are the king of your future, and I have a plan. The total money makeover plan isn't theory. It works every single time. It works because it is simple. It works because it gets to the heart of your money problems. You. Tens of thousands of ordinary people have used the system to get out of debt, regain control, and build wealth. These people have sacrificed for a short period of time, so they will never have to sacrifice again. If you're looking for a road map to get you home, you've found it. If you're looking for something easy or fast, you have the wrong audiobook. If you're looking for a writer who has an intricate academic theory, which don't work in the real world, well, you've got the wrong guy. I have many of the academic pedigrees, but I ended up broke. I've actually twice become a millionaire from nothing. The first time was in my 20s. The money was in real estate, and I lost that due to my stupidity. The second time, I was not yet 40 but I did the money thing right that time, and I am debt-free. I often hear about broke finance professors who bemoan that I'm way too simple, or as a recent emailer told me on the Dave Ramsey Show one day, Dave, you're a one-trick pony. To those of you who have great but unexecuted plans, I say prove your plan. I have proven mine. This plan works, but it will cost you. It will teach you to say new words like no. <laughs> In short, your total money makeover will be a personal money makeover where you learn this motto. If you live like no one else, later you can live like no one else. This is the motto for your total money makeover. It's my way of reminding you that if you will make the sacrifices now that most people aren't willing to make, later on you will be able to live as those folks will never be able to live. I'm sorry, there isn't an easier path. But the good thing about this one is it works. You can repeat the motto to yourself as you pass up a purchase in order to hit your goals. When you work late and are tired, you can say the motto again to yourself. 
Of course, this isn't a magic formula. I'm not into that. But it does remind you that you will win and the payoff will be worth the cost. I don't want to walk across hot coals because it is fun. But if I can be shown how a short, painful walk will do away with a lifetime of worry, frustration, stress, and fear that being constantly broke brings me, then bring on the hot coals. My promise to you is, if you will follow the guidelines of this proven system of sacrifice and discipline, you can be debt-free. Begin saving and give as you've never given before. You will build wealth. The total money makeover isn't a magic formula to wealth. This system will not work unless you do. Your situation isn't your spouse's fault. Well, maybe, but we'll talk later. It isn't your parents' fault. It isn't your children's fault. And it isn't your friend's fault. It's your fault. My financial life began turning around when I took responsibility for it. Please join me on a journey away from the young man I was, the one I described earlier who was racked with worry, fear, and guilt over money. Take this journey with me on your own total money makeover. But remember, the first part of the quest is confronting the man in the mirror. That man in the mirror is your total money makeover challenge. Chapter 2, Denial. I'm not that out of shape. Several years ago, I realized I had let my body dissolve into flab. I had worked so hard for so many years that I had abandoned the care of my physical condition. The first step to getting into shape was to realize that I needed to change my ways, but the second and equally important step was to identify the obstacles to getting there. What would stop me from getting into shape? Once I understood those obstacles, I began the process to lose weight, grow muscle, and become more fit. Your total money makeover is the same. You need to realize there's a problem. But you must also see what could hinder your move toward financial fitness. Look in the mirror. Take a long look. What do you see? Well, I'm really not that fat. Maybe just a little flabby. My dad used to say 90% of solving a problem is realizing there is one. Focused intensity, life or death intensity, is required for you to reset your money spending patterns. And one of your biggest obstacles is denial. The sad thing is you can be financially mediocre in this country, financially flabby, and still be average. And if the truth be known, being average, normal, and financially flabby is pretty much okay by most folks' standards. This, however, is not an audio book for the wimpy among us. This is an audio book about winning, about really having something. For several years, I've spoken to live audiences, teaching them the ideas in this book. After one of those live events, Sarah told me her total money makeover came only after life placed a call to her. She said she'd heard me quote the Wall Street Journal as reporting that 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, but she honestly thought she was in the 30% who were fine. She had financially struck a pose, and the pose was denial. With two sons from her previous marriage, Sarah had just remarried and was happy and secure in her job, as was her husband, John. Their new life together seemed awesome. Their household combined income was about $75,000 a year. 
with the normal debts of small student loans, a car loan, and only $5,000 on a credit card. With life under control and going well, Sarah and John decided their new family needed a new home. Somewhere deep inside, there may have been uneasiness, but it was very deep. In May, they moved into the new home, complete with a big new payment. In September, Sarah's boss asked to see her in his office. She was excelling at work, embraced herself for a big girl, followed by a nice raise or a bonus. Instead, the boss explained her job was being eliminated. Downsizing, you know, he said. Her life's work was cut from her, and $45,000 of their $75,000 income with the boss's chilling words. That night, there were tears, fears, and the sudden stark realization that she and John were financially fat. Suddenly, Sarah and her family were facing foreclosure on the house and repossession of the car. The basics of life had become precious. Sarah and John had listened to the Dave Ramsey show on the radio, but they always thought someone else needed a total money makeover. After all, they always held in their stomachs when standing in front of the mirror. The night after her layoff was the first night they looked in the financial mirror and saw fat people. The sight wasn't pretty. Big house payments, fat car payments, sloppy large student loans, bloated credit cards, anorexic savings, and no budget. They saw fat people. When you are physically fat, it's hard to be in denial. When you're financially fat, however, you can fake it and look good for a while. Your friends and family will participate in your fantasy-slash-denial, which makes you believe you're doing just fine. One of the four major factors that keeps people from winning in money by getting a total money makeover is not realizing they need one. Sadly, some of the most dramatic makeovers I've seen have been by people who have had life smack them so hard they got the denial knocked out of them. If life isn't smacking you around at the moment, you are actually in a greater danger than Sarah and John the night of the layoff. You are a real candidate for financial mediocrity or even a major crisis brought on by denial. Years ago in a motivational seminar by the master, Zig Ziglar, I heard a story about how mediocrity will sneak up on you. The story goes that if you drop a frog into boiling water, he will sense the pain and immediately jump out. However, if you put a frog in room temperature water, he will swim around happily, and as you gradually turn the water up to boiling, the frog will not sense the change. The frog is lured to his death by gradual change. We can lose our health, our fitness, and our wealth gradually, one day at a time. It might be a cliché, but that's because it is true. The enemy of the best is not the worst. The enemy of the best is just fine. Change is painful. Few people have the courage to seek out change. Most people won't change until the pain of where they are exceeds the pain of change. I hope Sarah's story and the others in this audio book will make you unwilling to stay where you are. If you keep doing the same things, you will keep getting the same results. You are where you are right now financially as a sum total of the decisions you've made to this point. If you like where you are, keep it up. Keep in mind, however, why are you listening to an audio book called The Total Money Makeover?
Is it because deep down you have the same uneasy feeling Sarah had but didn't address until it was almost too late? Are you really looking for something more? If so, I've got great news. This plan works. Break through the temptation to remain in the same situation. Don't wait for a heart attack to show you that you're overweight. Cut the carbs, the breads, the sugars, and lace up the running shoes now. The good news about Sarah and John was that the financial heart attack they had made them address their financial eating and exercise habits. The layoff was a wake-up call and the end to denial. After a year of very hard times, Sarah was able to find a whole new career. Only this time, when the checks started rolling in, Sarah and John were using this system. Every paycheck became an exciting event because they had a plan. The night I met Sarah and John, they were two years into their plan and smiling. They told me they were debt-free except for their house, and they had $12,000 in the bank just for emergencies. They had broken through their own denial, but they made their family uncomfortable because they refused to live like everyone else. Albert Einstein said, Great spirits have always found violent opposition from mediocre minds. John's dad had made fun of their plan and the extra jobs they took to win. He asked if they'd join some cult or something. Sarah and John realized that all they'd been doing with money was to try to impress others, but no more. Sarah chuckled as she told me how she used to think, we must be doing well, all these credit card companies think I'm credit worthy. Besides, I pay my credit cards off every month. How could I be in any trouble? John was grinning now, too, as they both laughed at the language of financially fat people who think they are fine, the language of denial. Sarah told me that while she hoped she or John never lost another job unexpectedly, they are ready if they do. We are no longer living a lie. We know where we are. We know where we are going. And we know how we are going to get there, she said. She and John wanted to leave me a gift for inspiring their total money makeover. But I assured them they already had. Chapter 3. Debt Myths. Debt is not a tool. Red-faced and fists clenched, the toddler yells with murder in his voice, I want it! I want it! I want it! We've all watched this scene unfold in the grocery store. We may even have watched our own children do this once. (laughs) It is human nature to want it and want it now. It is also a sign of immaturity. However, our culture teaches us to live for the now. I want it! We scream. And we can get it if we're willing to go into debt. I've heard it said that if you tell a lie often enough, loud enough, and long enough, the myth will become accepted as a fact. Sometimes we don't even realize what we are doing is stupid because we've been taught that it is just the way you do it. And so we never ask why. Debt has been sold to us so aggressively, so loudly, and so often that to imagine living without debt requires myth-busting. Debt is so ingrained into our culture that most Americans can't even envision a car without a payment. 
a house without a mortgage, a student without a loan, and credit without a card. We've been sold debt with such repetition and with such fervor that most folks can't conceive of what it would be like to have no payments. We can't do without debt, or can we? Working with tens of thousands of people on their total money makeover in the last several years, I have found that a major barrier to winning is our view of debt. Most people who have made the decision to stop borrowing money have experienced something weird, ridicule. Friends and family who are disciples of the myth that debt is good have ridiculed those on the path to freedom. John Maxwell tells of a study done on monkeys. A group of monkeys were locked in a room with a pole at the center. Some luscious ripe bananas were placed at the top of the pole. When a monkey would begin to climb the pole, the experimenters would knock him off with a blast of water from a fire hose. Each time a monkey would climb, off he would go, until all the monkeys had been knocked off repeatedly, thus learning that the climb was hopeless. The experimenters then observed that the other primates would pull down any monkey trying to climb. They replaced a single monkey with one who didn't know the system. As soon as the new guy tried to climb, the others would pull him down and punish him for trying. One by one, each monkey was replaced and the scene repeated until there were no monkeys left in the room that had actually experienced the fire hose. Still, none of the new guys were allowed to climb. The other monkeys pulled them down. Not one monkey in the room knew why, but none were allowed to get the bananas. We aren't monkeys, but sometimes we exhibit behavior that seems rather chimp-like. We don't even know why. We just know that debt is needed to win. So when a loved one decides to get a total money makeover, we laugh, get angry, and pull him down. We Americans are like the last set of monkeys. I want to expose the inner workings of the debt myth by looking at many of the sub-myths. However, I need to warn you to watch out for your instinct to defend the American way of borrowing. Calm down, relax, and go for a ride with me for a few minutes. I might be on to something. If at the end of this myth-busting section you conclude I'm just a nut with an audiobook, you will not be forced to change. Myth. Debt is a tool and should be used to create prosperity. Truth. Debt adds considerable risk, most often doesn't bring prosperity, and isn't used by wealthy people nearly as much as we are led to believe. I remember when training for my first career in real estate being told that debt was a tool. Debt is like a fulcrum and lever, allowing us to lift what we otherwise could not. We can buy a home, a car, start a business, or go out to eat and not be bothered with having to wait and save money. The myth has been sold that we should use OPM, other people's money, to prosper. The academic garbage is spread really thick on this issue. My contention is that debt brings on enough risk to offset any advantage that could be gained through leverage of debt. Given time, a lifetime, risk will destroy the perceived returns purported by the myth-sayers. I once was a myth-sayer myself, but life and God had some lessons to teach me. 
Only after losing everything I owned and finding myself bankrupt did I think that risk should be factored in. Life hit me hard enough to get my attention and teach me about risk. According to Proverbs 22.7, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. I was confronted with this scripture and had to make a conscious decision of who was right, my broke finance professor who taught me that debt was a tool, or God who showed obvious disdain for debt. Beverly Sills had it right when she said, there is no shortcut to any place worth going. I have found that if you look into the lives of the kind of people you want to be like, you will find common themes. If you want to be skinny, study skinny people. If you want to be rich, do what lots of rich people do. The Forbes 400 is a list of the richest 400 people in America, as rated by Forbes magazine. When surveyed, 75% of the Forbes 400 rich people, not your broke brother-in-law with an opinion, said the best way to build wealth is to become and stay debt-free. Walgreens, Cisco, Microsoft, and Harley-Davidson are run debt-free. I've met with thousands of millionaires in my years as a financial counselor, and they all lived on less than they made and spent only when they had cash. No payments. History also teaches us that debt wasn't always a way of life. In fact, three of the biggest lenders today were founded by people who hated debt. In 1910, the Sears catalog stated, buying on credit is folly. J.C. Penney department stores make millions annually on their plastic, but their founder was nicknamed James Cash Penny because he detested the use of debt. Henry Ford thought debt was a lazy man's method to purchase items. The old school saw the folly of debt. The new school saw the opportunity to take advantage of the consumer with debt. You have probably heard a lot of the sub-myths which fall in line behind the big one that says debt is a tool. So that we leave no stone unturned, let's review and debunk each of the myths spread by a culture that has officially bought the lie. Myth. If I loan money to a friend or relative, I am helping them. Truth. If I loan money to a friend or relative, the relationship will be strained or destroyed. The only relationship that would be enhanced is the kind resulting from one party's being the master and the other party a servant. The old joke is that if you loan your brother-in-law $100 and he never speaks to you again, was it worth the investment? We have all experienced loaning someone money and finding an immediate distancing in the relationship. Joan called my radio show one day complaining about how a loan had ruined her relationship with one of her best friends at work. She had loaned the lady, a broke single mom, $50 until payday. Payday came and went, and her friend, someone she used to talk to at lunch every day, someone who was her confidant and sounding board, now avoided her. Shame and guilt had entered the scene with no provocation. We don't control how debt affects relationships. Debt does that independently of what we want. The borrower is servant to the lender. You change the spiritual dynamic of a relationship when you loan a loved one money. They are no longer friend, uncle, or child. They are now your servant. 
I know some of you think that is overstated, but tell me why Thanksgiving dinner tastes different when alone has been served. Eating with your master is different from eating with your family. Joan was really torn up about losing this friendship. I asked her if the friendship was worth $50. She gushed that it was worth many times that, so I told her to call her friend and tell her the debt was forgiven. A gift. The forgiveness of the debt helped her remove the master-servant dynamic from the relationship. Of course, it would be better if that dynamic had never entered the scene. I also suggested two stipulations to the forgiveness of the debt. First, that the friend agree to help someone else in need someday. And second, that she never loan friends money. Let's break the myth chain. The lesson is that while it is fine to give money to a friend in need if you have it, loaning them money will mess up the relationship. I have dealt with hundreds of strained and destroyed families where well-meaning people loaned money to help. Parents loaned the 25-year-old newly married couple the down payment money for the first home. It all seems so noble and nice until the daughter-in-law catches the disapproving glances at the mention of the couple's upcoming vacation. She knows the meaning of the glances, that she should check with those well-meaning noble parents-in-law before she buys toilet paper until this loan is repaid. A lifetime of resentment can be born right there. Hundreds of times I've seen relationships strained and sometimes destroyed. We all have, but we continue to believe the myth that a loan to a loved one is a blessing. It isn't. It is a curse. Don't put that burden on any relationship you care about. Myth. By co-signing a loan, I'm helping a friend or relative. Truth. Be ready to repay the loan. The bank wanted a cosigner for a reason, which is that they don't expect a friend or relative to pay. Think with me for a moment. If debt is the most aggressively marketed product in our culture today and the lending industry has denied your friend or relative a loan, there is little doubt that the potential borrower is trouble looking for a place to happen. The lender requires a cosigner because there is a very high statistical chance that the applicant won't pay. So why do we cosign knowing full well the inherent problems? We enter this ridiculous situation only on emotion. Intellect could not take us on this ride. We know they will pay because we know them. Wrong. The sad thing is that those of us who have co-signed loans know how they end up. We end up paying them, but only after our credit is damaged or ruined. According to Proverbs 17:18, it's stupid to guarantee someone else's loan. That pretty well sums it up. Just like trying to bless a loved one with a loan, many people are trying to help by co-signing, and the result is damaged credit and damaged or destroyed relationships. I see cases of people caught in the co-signing trap every day on the Dave Ramsey Show, our talk radio show. Joe called because he was surprised to find he was on the hook for $16,000 on a mobile home he co-signed for 15 years ago. Ten years ago, his brother's mobile home was repoed, and the bank sold it for $16,000 less than was owed. Now, ten years later, the bank caught up with Joe and wanted its money. Joe was angry that this could happen. 
Most co-signers have no concept of the trip they've signed up for. Myth. Cash advance, payday loans, rent-to-own, title pawning, and tote-the-note car lots are needed to help lower-income people get ahead. Truth. These rip-off examples of predatory lending are designed to take advantage of lower-income people and benefit only the owners of the companies making the loans. Lower-income people will remain at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder if they fall for these rip-offs. These lenders, or as I like to call them, the scum of the scum, are bottom feeders and legally making themselves rich on the backs of the poor or those soon to be poor. The lending rates of these types of operations are over 100% interest, and if you want to stay on the bottom, keep dealing with these guys. You know why these types of operations are located only at the poor end of town? Because rich people won't play. That's how they got to be rich people. The payday loan is one of the fastest growing trash lenders out there. You write a hot check for $225 dated one week from now, which will be payday. They will give you $200 cash on the spot, all for a mere $25 service charge, which equates to over 650% interest annually. Mike called my talk show recently and was caught in a web of these payday loans. Basically, Mike had borrowed from one trash lender to pay another, and by doing this again and again and again, had created a cycle of financial death. He was panicked because he was being threatened with criminal charges for writing bad checks by the very places that have a business model based on a post-dated bad check. This type of business is legalized loan sharking. The sad thing is that the only way out for Mike is to stop paying them, close his accounts, and then meet with each lender to work out a payment arrangement. That will mean extra jobs and selling things around the house. The classic tote-the-note car lot is no better. Most of these transactions involve older, cheaper cars. The dealer purchases these cars and sells them for a down payment equal to what he paid for the car. So the payments at 18 to 38% interest paid weekly are all gravy. Tow trucks all over town recognize these cars because the car being sold has been sold many times and repeatedly repoed by the dealer. Every time the dealer sells the car, his return on investment skyrockets. The payments could have purchased the car for cash in a matter of weeks. In fact, the down payment could have purchased the car if the buyer had been a little more savvy. Rent-to-own is one of the worst examples of the little red-faced kid in I-want-it-now mode. The Federal Trade Commission continues to investigate this industry because the effective interest rates in rent-to-own transactions are over 1,800% on average. Whoa! People rent items they can't possibly afford to buy because they look only at how much a week and think, I can afford this. Well, when you look at the numbers, no one can afford this. The average washer and dryer will cost you just $20 per week for 90 weeks. That is a total of $1,800 for a washer and dryer. As my old professor used to say about the own part of rent-to-own, you should live so long. 
If you had saved $20 per week for just 10 weeks, you could have bought the Scratch and Dent model off the floor at the same rent-to-own store for $200. Or you could buy a used set out of the classifieds. If the red-faced kid, I want it and I want it now, rules your life, you will stay broke. If you use payday loans, tote the note, and rent-to-own, please understand that you are being destroyed financially. These businesses feed on the working poor, and you must avoid them at all costs if you want to win with money. Myth. 90 days, same as cash, equals using other people's money for free. Truth. 90 days is not the same as cash. The silly marketing that America falls for has resulted in this. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have in order to impress people we don't really like. 90 days, same as cash, has exploded in furniture, electronics, and appliance sales. 90 days is not the same as cash for these three basic reasons. One, if you will flash cash... $100 bills in front of a manager who has a sales quota to meet, you will likely get a discount. If you can't get a discount, go to the competitor and get one. You do not get the discount when you sign up for the finance plan. Two, most people don't pay off the debt in the allotted time. Nationally, 88% of these contracts convert to debt, a debt where you are charged a rip-off interest rate of 24 to 38%, and they backcharge you to the date of purchase. Please don't tell me you are the one who's actually going to pay it off. No, Virginia, 90 days is not the same as cash. Myth. Car payments are a way of life. You'll always have one. Truth. Staying away from car payments by driving reliable used cars is what the average millionaire does. That is how he or she became a millionaire. Taking on a car payment is one of the dumbest things people do to destroy their chances of building wealth. The car payment is most folks' largest payment except for their home mortgage, so it steals more money from the income than virtually anything else. USA Today notes that the average car payment is $378 over 55 months. Most people get a car payment and keep it throughout their lives. As soon as a car is paid off, they get another payment because they need a new car. If you keep a $378 car payment throughout your life, which is normal, you miss the opportunity to save that money. If you invested $378 per month from age 25 to age 65, a normal working lifetime, in the average mutual fund, averaging 12%, the 70-year stock market average, you would have $4,447,084 and a penny at age 65. Hope you like the car. Some of you had your nose in the air as intellectual snobs when I illustrated how bad rent-to-own is because you would never enter such an establishment, and yet you're doing worse on your car deal. If you put $378 per month in a cookie jar for just 10 months, you have almost $4,000 for a cash car. I'm not suggesting you drive a $4,000 car your whole life. But that's how you start without debt.
then you can save the same amount again and trade up to an $8,000 car 10 months later and up to a $12,000 car 10 months after that. In just 30 months or two and one-half years, you can drive a paid-for $12,000 car, never having had a car payment, and never have to make payments again. Taking on car payments because everyone else does it does not make it smart. Will your broke relatives and friends make fun of your junk car while you do this? Sure they will. But that is a very good sign you're on the right track. Having been a millionaire and gone broke, I dug my way out by making a decision about looking good versus being good. Looking good is when your broke friends are impressed by what you drive, and being good is having more money than they have. (laughs) Are you starting to realize that the total money makeover is also in your heart? You have to reach the point that what people think is not your primary motivator. Reaching the goal is the motivator. When the goal, not how you look, begins to matter, you are on your way to a total money makeover. Today, I drive a very nice, very expensive, slightly used car. But it wasn't always that way. After going broke, I drove a borrowed 400,000-mile Cadillac with a vinyl roof torn loose across the front so that it filled up with air like a parachute when I drove it. The predominant color on this puppy was Bondo. I drove the Bondo buggy for what felt like 10 years during one three-month period. I had dropped from a Jaguar to a borrowed Bondo buggy. This was not fun. But I knew that if I would live like no one else, later I could live like no one else. Today, I am convinced that my wife and I are able to do anything we want financially, partially because of the car sacrifices we made in the early days. I believe with everything within me that we are winning because of the heart change that allowed us to drive old, beat-up cars in order to win. If you insist on driving new cars with payments your whole life, you will literally blow a life fortune on them. If you are willing to sacrifice for a while, you can have the life fortune and drive quality cars. I'd opt for the millionaire's strategy. Myth. Leasing a car is what sophisticated people do. You should lease things that go down in value and take the tax advantage. Truth. Consumer advocates, noted experts, and a good calculator will confirm that the car lease, fleece, is the most expensive way to operate a vehicle. Consumer Reports, Smart Money Magazine, and my calculator tell me that Leasing a car is the worst possible way to acquire a vehicle. In effect, you are renting to own. The cost of capital, which is the interest rate, is extremely high. Yet most new car deals this year will be a fleece. I mean, a lease. They're bad. Sorry, that's my impression of a sheep getting fleeced. The average interest rate is 14%. Shouldn't you? Lease or rent things that go down in value? Not necessarily, and the math doesn't work on a car for sure. Follow me through this example. If you rent, lease, a car, 
with a value of $22,000 for three years. And when you turn it in at the end of that three-year lease, the car is worth $10,000. Someone has to cover the $12,000 loss. You're not stupid, so you know that General Motors, Ford, Chrysler, or any of the other auto giants aren't going to put together a plan to lose money. Smart Money Magazine quotes the National Auto Dealers Association, NADA, as stating the average new car purchase for cash makes the dealer an $82 profit. When the dealer can get you to finance with them, they sell the financing contract and make an average of $775 per car. But if they can get you to fleece the car, the dealer can sell that fleece to the local bank or GMAC, Ford Motor Credit, Chrysler Credit, Toyota Credit, etc. for an average of $1,300. The typical car dealer makes their money in the finance office and the shop, not in the sale of new cars. Car fleecing is exploding because dealers know it is their largest profit center. Myth. You can get a good deal on a new car at 0% interest. Truth. A new car loses 60% of its value in the first four years. That isn't 0%. You can't afford a new car unless you are a millionaire and can therefore afford to lose thousands of dollars all in the name of the neat new car smell. A good used car that is less than three years old is as reliable or more reliable than a new car. A new $28,000 car will lose about $17,000 of value in the first four years you own it. That is almost $100 per week in lost value. To understand what I'm talking about, open your window on your way to work once a week and throw out a $100 bill. The average millionaire drives a two-year-old car with no payments. He or she simply bought it. The average millionaire is unwilling to take the loss that the new car dishes out. That is how they became millionaires. Some people want to buy a new car for the warranty. If you lose $17,000 of value over four years, on average you've paid way too much for a warranty. You could have completely rebuilt the car twice for $17,000. Myth. You should get a credit card to build your credit. Truth. You won't use credit with your total money makeover, except maybe for a mortgage, and you don't need a credit card for that. The best myth is the build your credit myth. This myth means we have to get debt so we can get more debt because debt is how we get stuff. Those of us who have had a total money makeover have found that cash buys stuff better than debt. The one question we must answer is, how do we get a home mortgage? Later, I will introduce you to the 100% down plan. Or if you have to, how to settle for a 15-year fixed-rate mortgage. But if you want that 15-year fixed rate with a payment that is no more than 25% of your take-home pay, so I won't yell about it, don't you need credit? No. You will need to find a mortgage company that does actual underwriting. That means they are professional enough to process the details of your life instead of using only a beacon score, lending for dummies. You can get a mortgage if you have lived right. Let me define lived right. You can qualify for a conventional 15-year fixed-rate loan if 
One, you have paid your landlord early or on time for two years. Two, you have been in the same career field for two years. Three, you have a good down payment, which is more than nothing down. Four, you have no other credit, good or bad. Five, you are not trying to take too big a loan. A payment that totals 25% of take-home pay is conservative and will help you qualify. Don't let anyone tell you to go into debt to make way for a mortgage. That is a lie. A quality mortgage professional can get you into a home if he or she knows how to do underwriting. As for building credit for other stuff, leave that to the losers. With your total money makeover, you won't be taking on that kind of debt. No way. Myth. You need a credit card to rent a car, check into a hotel, or buy online. Truth. A debit card will do all of that. The Visa debit card or other check cards that are connected to your checking account give you the ability to do virtually anything a credit card will do. Some rental car places don't take debit cards, but most do. I buy things online and stay in hotels using my debit card all the time. Myth. The debit card has more risk than a credit card. Truth. Nope. Supposed financial experts have spread this myth to the point that it is virtually urban legend. The fact is, Visa's regulations require the member bank to afford the debit card the exact same protections in cases of theft or fraud. Myth. If you pay off your credit card every month, you get the free use of someone else's money. Truth. Card track says 60% don't pay off their credit cards every month. When you play with snakes, you get bitten. I have heard all the bait put out there to lure the unsuspecting into the pit. A free hat, airline miles, brownie points back, free use of someone else's money, a discount at the register, the list goes on, and you get to sign up for a credit card. Have you ever asked why they work so hard to get you involved? The answer is that you lose and they win. You won't wear the hat, and Consumer Reports says that 75% of the airline miles are never redeemed. Maybe you think, I pay mine off, so I'm using their money. I'm winning. Wrong again. A study by Dun & Bradstreet showed that the credit card user spends 12 to 18% more when using credit instead of cash. It hurts when you spend cash, and therefore you spend less. The big question is, what do millionaires do? They don't get rich with free hats, brownie points, air miles, and the use of someone else's money. What do broke people do? They use credit cards. An American Bankruptcy Institute study of bankruptcy filers revealed that 69% of filers say credit card debt caused the bankruptcy. Broke people use credit cards. Rich people don't. I rest my case. Myth. Make sure your teenager gets a credit card so he or she will learn to be responsible with money. Truth. Getting a credit card for your teenager is an excellent way to teach him or her to be financially irresponsible. That's why teens are now the number one target of credit card companies. Parents must instead teach the teenager to just say no. 
Anyone visiting a college campus in recent years has been shocked at the aggressive and senseless marketing of credit cards to people who don't have jobs. The results can be devastating. Recently, two college students in Oklahoma gave up on their credit card debt and committed suicide with the bills lying on the bed beside them. The reason that lenders market so aggressively to teens is brand loyalty. The lenders' studies have found that we consumers are very loyal to the first bank that certifies our adulthood by issuing us plastic. When I am doing an appearance and cutting up credit cards, the emotional attachment many people have to the first card they got in college is amazing. They clutch it like it's an old boyfriend or girlfriend. Brand loyalty is real. Several hundred schools across America are now using our high school curriculum called Financial Peace for the Next Generation. The results have been staggering. Teens latch on to the total money makeover before they even need one. A recent graduate of the program, 15-year-old Chelsea, said, I think this class has totally changed my life. Whenever I see someone using a credit card, I think, Whoa, how could they do that to their life? I always thought you had to have credit card payments, house payments, and car payments. Now I realize you don't have to. Very cool, Chelsea. You have to start teaching kids early because kitty branding is now commonplace. A few years back, Mattel put out Cool Shopping Barbie, which was sponsored by MasterCard. Of course, this cool babe had her own MasterCard. In my home, our kids are on commission not allowance. Work and get paid. Don't work and don't get paid. Kind of like the real world. Our children put their newly earned money in envelopes labeled save, spend, and give. When a child learns to work, save, spend, and give under a mature parent's direction, the child can avoid the messages that say a credit card equals prosperity. Myth, debt consolidation, saves interest, and you have only one smaller payment. Truth, debt consolidation is dangerous because you treat only the symptom. Debt consolidation. It's nothing more than a con because you think you've actually done something about your debt problem. The debt is still there, as are the habits that caused it. You just moved it. You can't borrow your way out of debt. You can't get out of a hole by digging out the bottom. Larry Burkett says debt is not the problem. It is the symptom. I feel debt is the symptom of overspending and undersaving. A friend of mine works for a debt consolidation firm whose internal statistics estimate that 78% of the time after someone consolidates their credit card debt, the debt grows back. Why? They still don't have a game plan to either pay cash or not buy at all, and they haven't saved for unexpected events, which will also become debt. Debt consolidation seems appealing because there is a lower interest rate on some of the debt and a lower payment. In almost every case we review, though, we find the lower payment exists not because the rate is actually lower, but because the term is extended. If you stay in debt longer, you get a lower payment. If you stay in debt longer, you pay the lender more, which is why they're in the business of debt con 
consolidation? The answer is not the interest rate. The answer is a total money makeover. Myth. Borrowing 125% on my home is wise because I'll restructure my debt. Truth. You are stuck in the house, which is really dumb. On today's radio show, I took a call from a desperate man facing bankruptcy. He had borrowed $42,000 on a second mortgage, a rip-off 125% loan. Dan's existing balance on his first mortgage was $110,000, making his total new mortgage debt $152,000. Dan's home was worth $125,000, so he owed $27,000 more on his home than it is worth. He lost his job two months ago, and luckily has just found a job in another state. But he can't sell his home. He had the same job for 16 years and thought he had security. But now, just a few months later, he is in the soup. My suggestion to Dan was that he call the second mortgage ripoff lender and get an acknowledgment of the truth that there really isn't any collateral for this loan. They wouldn't foreclose in a 100 years, but they will sue him when the first mortgage company forecloses. So after asking the second mortgage lender to release the lien for whatever proceeds above the first mortgage come from a sale, Dan will sign a note and make payments on the rest. Dan will have payments for years to come on a second mortgage for a home he no longer owns. But like most folks, his second mortgage was to pay off, move debt he already had on credit cards, medical bills, and other life issues. Today, with a job in another state, Dan would rather have all his old debt back and his home where he could sell it easily. Myth. If no one used debt, our economy would collapse. Truth. Nope, it would prosper. The occasional economics teacher feels the need to pose this ridiculous scenario. So let's pretend for the fun of it. What if every single American stopped using debt of any kind in one year? The economy would collapse. What if every single American stopped using debt of any kind over the next 50 years? A gradual, total money makeover the economy would prosper, although banks and other lenders would suffer. Do I see tears anywhere? Think with me for a moment. What would people do if they didn't have any payments? They would save and they would spend, not support banks. Saving and investing would cause wealth to be built at an unprecedented level. Giving would increase and many social problems would be privatized. Thus the government could get out of the welfare business then taxes could come down and we would have even more wealth as that great philosopher austin powers said capitalism yeah baby those who are worried about the widening gap between the haves and the have-nots need not look to government to solve the problem just call for a national total money makeover are you beginning to understand that debt is not a tool It is a method to make banks wealthy, not you. The borrower truly is servant to the lender. How much could you give every month, save every month, and spend every month if you had no payments? Your income is your greatest wealth-building tool, not debt. 
Your total money makeover begins with a permanent changed view of the debt myths. Another total money makeover success story. The most valuable lesson I learned had nothing to do with the green paper that becomes such an idol to so many people. It was about trusting God. Having been a single mom for 14 years to two sons, now ages 19 and 20, I wanted more than anything in the world to make up to them what I felt they never got, because they were not raised in a married household. Unfortunately, I used the credit card to soothe away some of the pain I saw on their faces today, and tried not to think about the reality of what I was doing to my own future tomorrows. But tomorrow does come, and all of a sudden children are almost grown and gone, and I'm left with the finance charges and the balances, and the feeling that pulling out that credit card was a big mistake. When I look back on my life, I wish I had learned many years ago to place my trust in God first above everything and everyone else, instead of putting that trust in plastic and the material things it provided. Since I began practicing Dave's principles, my two tithe checks are the most important checks I write every month. Those checks support my church, but most of all, they support my belief and faith in God, who will never change, who will never charge me interest, and unlike a credit card, will always be there for me and provide for all my needs. I strongly recommend that single parents follow the total money makeover principles. It will change your spending habits, your thinking, and most important, your heart. Joyce, a single mom. Chapter 4. Money Myths. The Non-Secrets of the Rich. Most money myths have to do with a lie about a shortcut or a lie about safety. We yearn to become healthy, wealthy, and wise with no effort and with no risk, but it will never happen. Why else is the lottery so successful in pulling in millions of dollars? Why do people stay in jobs they hate, seeking false security? The total money makeover mentality is to live like no one else. So later, we can live like no one else. A price has to be paid, and there are no shortcuts. While no one goes looking for needless pain, risk, or sacrifice, when something sounds too good to be true, it is. The myths I am going to talk about now are rooted in two basic problems. First is risk denial. Thinking total safety is possible and likely. Second is easy wealth, or looking for the magic key to open the treasure chest. Risk denial takes several forms in the world of money. Sometimes risk denial is a kind of laziness when we don't want to take the energy to realize that energy is needed to win. Other times, risk denial is a kind of surrender in which we settle for a bad solution because we are so beat down or beat up that we wave the white flag and do something stupid. At still other times, risk denial can have an active component when we search for a false security that simply doesn't exist. This is the risk denial of someone who keeps a job he or she hates for 14 years because the company is, quote, secure, only to find life turned upside down by a layoff when the secure company 
files for bankruptcy. Money denial always involves an illusion followed by disillusionment. The second underlying problem is the quest for easy wealth. Quick easy money is one of the oldest lies or myths in the book of the human race. The secrets of the rich don't exist because the principles aren't a secret. There is no magic key, and if you are looking for one, you've set yourself up for pain and the loss of money. One of my pastors says that living right is not complicated. It may be difficult, but it is not complicated. Living right financially is the same way. It is not complicated. It may be difficult, but it is not complicated. In addition to debt myths, we must dispel several other money myths as part of your total money makeover. Most of these money myths are rooted in the problems we've already discussed, denial and or a shortcut mentality. Myth. Everything will be fine when I retire. I know I'm not saving yet, but it will be okay. Truth. Ed McMahon is not coming. How can I put this delicately? There is no shining knight headed your way on a white horse to save the day. Wake up. This is the real world where sad old people eat Alpo. Please don't be under the illusion that this government, one that is so inept and dim-witted with money, is going to take care of you in your golden years. That is your job. This is an emergency. The house is on fire. You have to save. You have to invest for your future. You won't be fine. Do you get the picture? Things won't be okay unless you make them that way. Your destiny and your dignity are up to you. You are in charge of your retirement. We'll talk about how to take charge of it later, but for now, you'd better be 100% convinced that this area deserves your full attention right now, not tomorrow or pretty soon. Myth. Gold is a good investment and will cover me if the economy collapses. Truth. Gold has a poor track record and isn't used when an economy collapses. Gold is a lousy investment with a long track record of mediocrity. The average rates of return tracked as far back as Napoleon are around 2% gain per year. In recent history, gold has a 50-year track record of around 4.4%, about the same as inflation, and just above savings accounts. During that same time frame, you would have made around 12% in a good growth stock mutual fund. The truth is that gold is not used when economies fail. History shows that when an economy completely collapses, the first thing that appears is a black market barter system in which people trade items for other items or services. Myth. I can get rich quickly and easily if I join these groups, buy this tape set, and work three hours a week. Truth. No one develops and makes a six-figure income on three hours a week. Have you seen the midnight infomercial about ordering a tape set with the secrets so that you, too, can become wildly wealthy by buying nothing down real estate or by learning the hidden formula to success in the stock market? Sounds too good to be true? It is. Small business ideas abound, such as getting rich at home by stuffing envelopes and doing medical billing. Be realistic. Envelopes are stuffed by machines at a rate of thousands a minute and at a cost of tenths of a penny. They are not stuffed by stay-at-home moms trying to supplement the family income. 
One person in every thousand who attempts the oversold, overdone medical billing concept does so at a profit. The legitimate profitable medical biller is usually someone who came from the medical industry, not someone who got ripped off taking a weekend course. Don't fall for this. Real estate can be purchased for nothing down. But then you owe so much on it that there is no cash flow. I bought foreclosure and bankruptcy real estate for years and know it can be done. But the players with cash are the ones who win. The good deals are 1 in 200 if you are experienced and very good in real estate. I worked 60 hours a week and it took me years to get to a six-figure income in that world. The stock market attracts the brightest business minds on the planet. These mega nerds study, track, chart, eat, and breathe the stock market and have for generations. Still, every other year, a book or con artist comes out claiming to have discovered little-known keys, patterns, or trends that will make you rich. The Beardstown Ladies published a New York Times bestseller about their cute little quilting group who started investing and discovered how to get unbelievable returns. As it turns out, the whole thing was a fraud, and they never got those reported returns, and the publisher got sued. It is really hard to sell books and tapes that teach the necessity of lots of hard work, living on less than you make, getting out of debt, and living on a plan, but I'm trying, because it's the only way that will work. Meanwhile, the sooner you understand that no one gets rich quick by using secret information, the better. Myth. Cash value life insurance, like whole life, will help me retire wealthy. Truth. Cash value life insurance is one of the worst financial products available. Sadly, over 70% of the life insurance policies sold today are cash value policies. A cash value policy is an insurance product that packages insurance and savings together. Do not invest money in life insurance. The returns are horrible. Your insurance person will show you wonderful projections, but none of these policies perform as projected. Let's look at an example. If a 30-year-old man has $100 per month to spend on life insurance and shops the top five cash value companies, he will find he can purchase an average of $125,000 in whole life insurance for his family. The pitch is to get a policy that will build up savings for retirement, which is what a cash value policy does. However, if the same guy purchases 20-year level term insurance with coverage of $125,000, the cost will only be $7 per month, not $100. Wow! If he goes with the cash value option, the other $93 per month would be in savings, right? Well, not really. You see, there are expenses. Expenses? How much? All of the $93 per month disappears in commissions and expenses for the first three years. After that, the return will average 2.6% per year for whole life, 4.2% for universal life, and 7.4% for the new and improved variable life policy that includes mutual funds. These statistics are from Consumer Reports, Consumer Federation of America, Kiplinger's Personal Finance, and Fortune Magazine. So these are the real numbers. Worse yet, with whole life and universal life, the savings you 
finally build up after being ripped off for years, don't go to your family upon your death. The only benefit paid to your family is the face value of the policy, the $125,000 of our example. The truth is that you would be better off to get the $7 term policy and put the extra $93 in a cookie jar. At least after three years, you would have $3,000, and when you died, your family would get your savings. As you continue in this book and learn how to have a total money makeover, you will begin investing well. Then, when you're 57 and the kids are grown and gone, the house is paid for, and you have $700,000 in mutual funds, you've become self-insured. That means when your 20-year term is up, you shouldn't need life insurance at all because with no kids to feed, no house payment, and $700,000, your spouse will just have to suffer through if you die without life insurance. Myth. Playing the lotto and other forms of gambling will make you rich. Truth. Lotto and Powerball are attacks on the poor and people who can't do math. It is a ripoff instituted by our government. This is not a moral position. It is a mathematical statistical fact. Studies show that the zip codes that spend four times what anyone else does are those in lower income parts of town. The lotto or gambling of any kind offers false hope, not a ticket out. Myth. Mobile homes